Hey everyone, my voice may be familiar, for those of you who have followed my YouTube channel, SciVlog, yes that's how it's pronounced, less of the SIVlog or C-vlog as I've heard some people call it, but anyway, this isn't SciVlog as such, instead what you're listening to is the first incarnation of the spin-off series, my podcast, podcast, spin-off series called SciPod. Now I appreciate that the times we're living in are not exactly the best, let's face it. It may be January 2021 at the time of recording, but we're still in a global pandemic of COVID-19. A lockdown is in place at the time of recording and also at the time of recording also as a consequence of lockdown there are all sorts of tight measures in place to attempt to minimize the spread of the virus. But that's not why I decided to start this podcast. Oh no. Instead what I want to do is in my own small way trying to lift people's spirits. Let me give you an example. If people had said to me 10 years ago that I would be in the position I am in now, freshly graduated from my undergraduate degree of studying motorsport technology, having got 72% in my dissertation and an overall grade of 2-1 in my undergraduate, now doing a master's in engineering management, I would have laughed. Not just laughed, but laughed very, very hard. I would not have put a penny on me being in the position I'm in now. And that is because when I was younger... I suppose one way you could put it, I was not mentally ready for education. That's not to say that I was not interested in education. No. Because I did know... Well, I suppose no is probably the wrong word to use, but I did want to know what's out there. But in a way, reflective of how I initially did when I took my GCSEs for the first time in 2005, it did not go as well as it could have done. But through the hard slog of biding my time, building up confidence, working on a book, which disappointingly I'm still not finished, but We'll get to that in another podcast. But yeah, while I was building my confidence back up, I decided to go back into education, redo the offending GCSE that was holding me back, which, considering the way I'm talking, is ironic considering it was English language. But, to be fair... I came out two grades higher than I originally did. I came out in 2005 
with a D grade when I did it originally. So two grades higher when I took the English language exam again in 2013 was a huge improvement and I suppose you could say opened the floodgates. Now I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking if you haven't met me or interacted with me or seen my YouTube video about it, but you're probably thinking, Simon, why did it take you so long to improve your grades from the D grade you got initially for English language to the B that you got in 2013? That is a very good question. And to answer that question, we have to think about the overarching term and overly simplified term that is used to describe what I had diagnosed, what I had been diagnosed with, I should say, as a child. What I was diagnosed with as a child was a condition on the autistic spectrum. And that condition was, at the time, semantic pragmatic disorder. Nowadays, it's the much less wordy pragmatic language disorder. Now, how did this affect me? And what the hell is pragmatic language disorder? Pragmatic language disorder is a condition that is on the autistic spectrum. Autism is a frustratingly overarching term because not every form of autism is the same. You could have someone like me who is quite open and talkative about what I have and others who are really withdrawn. That's overly simplifying it. But the way it affected me was the fact that I would not immediately comprehend what I was being asked to do. So someone would ask me to do a homework, for example, and I would do the homework as I, was, as I would interpret the instruction, but it would turn out to be not quite what the teacher was actually asking about. So, as a way of coping with the disorder, to the point where most people wouldn't know that I had it without me telling them, is checking and double-checking the intent of the instruction. I've known plenty of people, including a very good friend, who I hope will, at some point, appear in a future podcast from Hull incidentally <laughs> um, and talk about how autism has affected them because I'm by no means the only person who has suffered from autism or a type of autism anyway the fact that I have 
got where I am. Without wishing to sound big-headed or anything, it somehow inspired people, and I, that is beyond what I could have imagined I would have done ten years ago. You can't see it, but I'm shaking my head. Now, part of the reason I wanted to be open about what I have is because I wanted to, in some ways, provide reassurance as well as a morale boost. Because I use the type of autistic spectrum condition that I was diagnosed with to my advantage. Here's what I'm talking about. When I was in high school, for example, there was a maths question which, I got. although I got the right answer, I didn't necessarily do it the way the teacher expected. And this is a funny story because... I was, the, the maths question was something along the lines of Jacques Villeneuve set pole position for the Australian Grand Prix with a time of 1 minute 29.369 seconds. In order for the rest of the field to qualify for that Grand Prix, they needed to set a time within 107% of that time. The intent of this question was to work out percentages. In this case, 107% of that time, the cutoff time needed for drivers to qualify for that Grand Prix. However, I bent things slightly by knowing the answer through memory. You see, that particular time set in a qualifying session for an Australian Grand Prix was from 1997 and the pole position holder none other than Jacques Villeneuve and one of the people who was struggling to make that time and he just he did make it in the end just was the then defending champion Damon Hill because I remember time and time again in that qualifying session they mentioned the time he had to beat in order to qualify, which was 135.625. And, side note, one team and two drivers who were nowhere near reaching that time were the MasterCard Lolas. They were 112 and 113% off, uh, off pole position without even a hope in hell of qualifying unfortunately so yeah I got the right answer through memory not through <laughs> the uh, actual calculation and in case you haven't worked out by now Formula 1 has been one of the constant uh, positive things in my life it was something where I could relax be myself enjoy the sport I was never 
one of these people seduced by football. Indeed, when I was a kid, I found myself lumbered with the position in primary school anyway, of being the position nobody wants to be, aka goalkeeper. And I was like, where's the fun in this? Whereas I was seduced by the sound produced, the incredible sound produced by the V10 en engines, as they would have been at the time of Formula One, and the incredible battles that were ongoing for the world championships in each of those years. Because 1996, 97, 98, 99 were all years in which the World Championship battle came down to the last Grand Prix. And I had the pleasure of watching the overwhelming majority of them. On telly, of course, because the first Grand Prix I actually attended in person was the British Grand Prix of 2007, more on which later. And my knowledge of Formula One was such that my friends around me particularly in college and if you know and if you are one of those people listening to me now you'll know what I'm talking about because it got to the stage where they would jokingly say you don't need to look up look on google for the results of grand prix from the past just ask simon he's effectively google But yeah, as for the British Grand Prix of 2007, that was my 18th birthday present. Something went wrong. Please try again. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just had my tablet wake up for some reason while recording. That was unexpected. But I'll keep going as it makes it authentic. Um, but yeah... 18th birthday present was my uh, uh, ticket to the British Grand Prix in 2007. And I can't overemphasize the excitement that the crowd felt that weekend when out of nowhere, having not looked like he was on the pace for the quickest time at any point that weekend... Lewis Hamilton pulled a pole position time out of the bag and I distinctly remember my dad standing next to me with a radio tuned into Radio Silverstone next to his ear and he heard that Hamilton had got pole a fraction of a second before everyone else because he started cheering and everyone else was like, did he do it? Did he do it? And uh, yeah, amazing day. The first of, at the time, as of recording, three Grand Prix that I've had the pleasure of visiting so far. Uh, it was a gap of almost nine years to the next Grand Prix that I attended, this time Hockenheim, which I attended in 2016, which didn't live up to the action that occurred in 2018 or 2019 but nonetheless I enjoyed myself uh, to coin the phrase in German ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch and picked up some German 
while I was over there as well, like haben Sie Kühlwasser bitte. But anyway, and the most recent Grand Prix which I attended, and thank God I did, <laughs> um, for more reasons than one, including uh, the timing of COVID, um, was the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. And my goodness me. Oh, everything you've heard about Monza and the atmospheric conditions that it provides, how you can feel the history of the place. Yeah, it's as good as that. Now, you may hear rustling of paper like that. And that's because I've brought in front of me now my dissertation document from 2020. The one which, if you were paying attention from earlier... Hey, pay attention there! Anyway, <laughs> um, if you were paying attention earlier, I mentioned that I got 72% a first in it. And it was this... It's this document that uh, may have played a large part in me getting the 2-1 grade ultimately for my undergraduate degree. And it was through this that I was able to, as I like to put it, turn previously useless information to some use. Because if I read the title that I chose for the document, quote, Did safety regulations brought into Formula One by the FIA succeed in their intention? In other words, this document was an investigation into whether the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile or FIA had succeeded in their intention in improving safety in the Formula One World Championship. The assumption I made is that naturally, yes, but there were, the numbers were truly staggering in terms of what I was able to uncover. You see, the numbers did indeed decline over time. From the 1950s, where there were 15 drivers who paid the ultimate price in accidents, where, to, cut, to quote Martin Brundle, there were no such things as runoff areas or gravel traps, there were trees, houses and spectators. And also the car design was not the safest either. Metal fuel tank, front engine, prop shaft between the driver's legs and very narrow tyres. Through to the safest decade, statistically speaking, the 2000s, where there were no fatalities at all. The biggest improvement, percentage-wise, was between the 1970s and 1980s, 
in in the nineteen seventies, twelve drivers lost their life in accidents, and that plummeted by sixty six percent to four drivers in the nineteen eighties, with the last driver to lose their life in any context, whether it's a race or in the case of the unfortunate Elio De Angelis in a test session taking place in 1986 with the last race fatality of that decade being Riccardo Paletti at Canada in 1982. So you can imagine the shock that was felt that terrible weekend at Imola in 1994 where as I mentioned in the report the Formula One authorities had allowed themselves to get complacent how there hadn't been a fatality for at the time nearly 12 years in a race and 8 years in any context and so they could get rid of driver aids like traction control, anti-lock brakes and active suspension without slowing the cars down first. That's not to say that they played any role in the accidents that claimed the life of Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna because for one thing the cause of Senna's accident may never be known until the uh, information in the black box is forthcoming. I'm not going to dig into that. That's not why I'm here. But the, the point was both accidents occurred in circumstances where the driver should have been easily capable of rounding the corner regardless of the prohibition of driver aids. But what it did do was push the FIA into making the sport safer it's impossible to have the sport be completely safe frankly the only time that there will be a 100% safe form of motorsport is where there's no motorsport at all and for the motor industry that wouldn't do because without motorsport there's no room for innovation there would be no such thing as crash tests, for example. There would be no such thing as driver stability control. I could go on and on and on. But without the motorsport industry being there to provide sources of innovation for the, to trickle down to the road car industry, how can the road car industry evolve? But the joyous part was the 72% that I got. You know, I, I had a good feeling about when I was uh, compiling the report, even though it was, around, even though I was writing the majority of it during the first lockdown in March 2020. There was something rewarding and slightly giddy, I suppose is the right word, when on the link that they use turn it in when you click publish 
and you see it's dispatched and you're like, Ooh, I wonder how I did. And then being told later, much later, that I'd got 72%. Huge sigh of relief. <laughs> I can't put it into words how relieved I was, but also joyous as well. And I've been putting it into good use. I won't go into details just yet, but needless to say, I have been putting into use the findings that I've got in this report. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen to me what some people would say ramble on <laughs> with regards to this opening podcast uh, tune in very soon for the next one I'm not sure when it will be but hopefully it will be with one of a few different people I've got in mind to appear for the next one so until next time everyone I'll see you soon <laughs>